Welcome. Episode 4, Soccer Pod, Jens Lehmann. In the 2006 World Cup, Germany found themselves in the quarterfinals against Argentina, a very strong side. And the, the game was a draw. It was a tie all the way through and it ended up being a, a penalty shootout. The goalkeeper for Germany on that day was Jens Lehmann. And before every Argentine shooter would approach the ball, he, was, he would take out a piece of paper from his sock and review notes that he had taken on every shooter. The last shooter was Esteban Cambiasso. And if he saved the shot, he'd win. He spent a, but he spent a good time looking at his notes. Cambiasso took the shot. Yemen, Lehmann guessed correctly, saved the ball. And Argentina, I'm sorry, Germany were on to the, uh, the semifinals. An interesting note is that Cambiasso was not on his list. So he's, uh, he's, he's one for, he's a good showman. And Jens Lehmann is one of the greatest goalkeepers in German history and in Premier League history as well, playing many very solid seasons for Arsenal. He's also part of a derby that I find very interesting, the Riviere Derby um, in Dortmund between Schalke and, and Borussia Dortmund. He, was, he played on both teams in that derby. And uh, it's, it's one of the biggest matches in the world. So Jens came to see us in Munich. We had a great conversation. I really hope you enjoy him. Soccer pod number four, Jens Lehmann. Cheers. I wondered if, 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 uh, if we could begin with your first season at Arsenal. Uh, it so must have been. It, it must the, have been strange that it was the end of my career. Not necessarily the end, but I wonder if it's not the pinnacle, an undefeated right. season. <coughs> I'm sorry. I may cough uh, every now and again because I'm still recovering from one. Not a problem. Um, but Arsenal was a particular uh, st- uh, period in my career. Uh, first of all, it came overnight, so I had to change with my family, uh, young children, from one country to the other. And my wife and I told them, okay, um, I'm going tomorrow and you have to come as well on Wednesday. That was, I think, on a Sunday. And it was funny because we invited for Sunday lunch, or Sunday, Sunday uh, afternoon, we invited my parents and my wife's parents. And uh, we, t- we were telling them, we want to, uh, we have to tell you something. And they thought, okay, baby or whatever. <laughs> And said, no, no, we're leaving the country tomorrow. And uh, they were quite astonished. And my mother-in-law actually was the first one who accompanied my son because he had to start English school a week later. And that's how my Arsenal adventure started because uh, yeah, we need to sort out everything. And the children were quite, kind of shocked. And uh, my son, as an example, he had a hiccup for two weeks. So we had to go to a psychologist because we didn't know what it was and it was just his uh, anxiety because he couldn't speak the language, a new environment, and he was completely shocked. But um, that was obviously apart from football and the football started with me in a training camp where I had to go with Arsenal. And uh, on the first day, the goalkeeping coach said, okay, you can rest because I arrived lunchtime. He said, you can rest. And uh, I said, no, 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 I'm in proper training. I need to practice something. So we went out and he was very soft and I said to him, you're too soft. We need to uh, be tougher on the training drills. Was he the coach for Seaman as well? All the years no, before? No, no, he, he was new with you. Yeah, he was new with me. Uh, he Kepka? Followed, uh, no, no, no. He followed, he was Jerry Payton oh, okay. and he followed after Bob Wilson, an English legend in goal as well. Yeah. So uh, Jerry, at the beginning, as I said, he was a bit soft and uh, said, no, 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 I can't kill you. The boss would kill me then. Boss was Arsene Wenger. Mm-hmm. And um, then on the second training session, 
I was confronting Dennis Bergkamp, who chipped me from five yards. Yeah. And uh, it was a goal. And I thought, oh my God, it's good quality here. Yeah, that was my beginning at Arsenal. But um, it was uh, obvious that uh, I was only kind of filling in a certain time for the Arsenal legend and English legend, David Seaman. And uh, I've been told that uh, I was replacing him and uh, being a kind of a, yeah, a short term solution before Stuart Taylor uh, wanted to take over from me yeah, because Stuart Taylor was a very young English goalkeeper and Stuart was supposed to be England number one soon. That never happened. And uh, it never happened that I was only there for one or two years. So I stayed for a little bit longer. Right. And uh, what I was saying before, I had the luck to actually come into a team which was uh, from the quality fantastic. And I think they didn't really know, <coughs> sorry, I think they didn't really know what to expect from me. And it turned out that the combination, because I was the only new signing, combination of myself and the team, which always played very high up uh, on the pitch, uh, was quite beneficial. It was a very long answer to your question. No, no, I appreciate it. It's interesting that the first thing you remember is the family element and just how it impacted your life, like from that side. You remember, remember, you remember how your kid was scared and stuff like that. That's part of being a player, isn't it? <coughs> that's uh, that's something which people never have in mind because they think, oh, it's great, you can go to Arsenal and uh, or wherever, fantastic, and um, yeah, they don't actually know about your environment how it affects it and uh, what kind of impact such a move not from one city to the other in, in the same country but uh, into a different uh, language area into a different cultural area how it affects your children and you wife. didn't you didn't even mention that you didn't lose a game all year you did not ask me i, <laughs> I did not want to come out with a with a highlight right right immediately well, if I may go back, because you, when if you think back to your youth days, you didn't start off in goal, did you? I started as a striker, yes. And when that most goalies don't start off in goal, do they? It's like you're the best athlete, or you're just really good at it. And then when did that happen for you? When I went into goal, yeah. I think um, I don't know. I started as a striker, then uh, as a in Germany sometimes because I'm from a Catholic background. We had a very big day where you got presents for your naming day. So my naming day, I don't actually know the, the English name, but it was a, a saint of Johannes. Yeah. And um, so on that naming day, I got my first complete goalkeeping gear. Yeah. Shirt, shorts, uh, pads, uh, gloves. To just try it or? I tried it. Yeah. And then I went to gold and it worked out good, but um from that day onwards I always changed but predominantly I played in my first club uh from I think for three or four years I played as an outfield player as a striker and <coughs> I got I got um my first offer as well from uh the next bigger club and they wanted to have me as a striker but when I went there I told them no I would like to go in goal and they said, no, but we signed you as a striker. So what are we doing now? 
I said, no, please let me try and go. And uh, in that club, I never went out of goal again. But beside that, in my school team, I always was playing as an outfield player. And it was my best, actually, decision because it turned out that when I was in my final youth year, um, I've been signed up by Schalke. So uh, I went there. And um, I played one year in for the youth team, for the academy of Schalke 04. And, and then I uh, became a second goalie in the Bundesliga team. And unfortunately, the Bundesliga team got uh, relegated to second Bundesliga. And so I became second goalkeeper. And uh, I was doing my exam at the time, at the same time in school. But after seven games, the goalkeeper, the actual goalkeeper, which was a very mature and experienced guy, he got injured. And I started playing. And so the, my teammates liked me because I could play football. The generation before me, the goalies, they never really learned to play football. So they, and they changed the rule just around that time that keepers weren't allowed to catch up sure. um, or to collect the ball by hands when it was being played by uh, one of their own teammates. That was a huge advantage for me. And so um, I kept playing and uh, I had the luck to play on a very high level at a very young age. Was, th was that the team you supported as a boy, Schalke? Well, I supported a couple of teams. Um, for example, because I liked uh, playing outfield, I supported Cologne with Litbarski oh, sure. yeah? and, uh, and Schumacher. And Tony Schumacher happened to come to Schalke at the same, in the same year when I went there. And that was a reason for me to go there because they allowed me to practice with him. So <coughs> I picked up, I picked up a lot of good things from him, which was good for my developing process. And, um, I supported as well, uh, teams like Borussia Mönchengladbach because, um, I liked their uh, strikers. Um, I liked Fortuna Düsseldorf, uh, Klaus Allos, a former German legend was playing there. Um, sometimes I liked even Bayern Munich because uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge mm. was playing there. So as a kid, you always look at the strikers, the guys who are scoring the goals. The Schalke is a special club though in Germany, isn't it? Oh yeah, very special. Um, I was uh, going there with my little uh, motorbike when I was 16, always to the games. took me 25 minutes to go there from my hometown Essen to Gelsenkirchen. And I was watching Bundesliga games behind the goal because at the time... The ticket controls were not really existent. So you could really sneak in. <laughs> All of a sudden, I was sitting behind the goal and watching a football match there. Um, and I really liked it, uh, the atmosphere and the players. And obviously, you have to be close to something, probably because uh, then you develop a passion for something. And when does Coach Stevens come to the team? Well, Coach Steven, that was a special story because it was the first time after 20 years before he came that we actually qualified for a European Cup. Sure. And at the time, it was a big European Cup because only the uh, the champion, the respective country, was qualified for the Champions League. And any other club from two to five or six, I don't know anymore, they were uh, qualified for the UEFA Cup. Yeah. It was the second, but... Basically, it was from the from the amount of teams, it was even bigger than the Champions League. This is 97. 97, was it? And um, so we had our first game in that cup competition. 
and we were playing against Rodaker Krade, a Dutch team. Never heard of it before. But Coach Stevens is Dutch, right? And yeah, and Hoop Stevens was a coach there. Oh, right. So we've beaten them. Um, but at the same time, we decided as a team that it wasn't beneficial anymore for us to go on with our current coach at the time. Oh, I see. Because we were a team which really wanted to go forward, 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 progressing, progressing. And sometimes he did not, um, he did not uh, support that. He did the contrary. Yeah. He always tried to be on the break. So uh, it had to happen that we were going to the manager, Rudy Assau at the time, and they were telling him, listen, we need a new coach now. We don't want to work together with him anymore. And the outcry in the public was really massive because imagine first time qualified for European Cup. And you want then, the coach gone. Then we've beaten uh, the first uh, uh, team in the first round. And uh, our manager, I mean, Rudy Assau, came up with their coach as our new coach. So yeah. you, were, you were winning, but the, the in the locker room, they were just like, we need a new manager because we're playing too defensive and we could be doing better. I don't know. I don't know exactly why, but, um, or for what reason, but it was an ongoing process, which actually started as a season before. And uh, there were, I remember there was a game. But you're only 20. Me? I was 21. 21 at this thing, yeah. I think I was 21. I was quite young. No, no, no. No, no, wrong. At the time, I was 26. Yeah, okay. I was 26. When when the current coach, uh, which we were kind of um, actually releasing, when he came, I was, I think, 22. And uh, in his first game, he let me play but took me off at half time because he blamed me for a goal. And that was a start with that coach, but I developed a, a relatively good relationship with him. But uh, then after a couple of years, I became captain and uh, I was uh, actually leading that process that I thought, okay, yeah, we need to be fast in our progression. And that's uh, how it ended eventually in the, so Coach Stevens comes in. The release of Jörg Berger, yeah, and st Coach uh, Hoop Stevens came in. And then he has led us to the uh, unbelievable run in the European Cup. And uh, we've won it uh, in, the, in the second leg of the final in Milan. Yeah. We were big, big underdogs. And did, did, you, did your, crowd, did your uh, fans travel well? Our fans. Because that was in Milan, against Inter Milan, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it comes down to a shootout, yeah? Our, our fans were amazing because I think there were 20 or 25,000 yeah. fans in the Sun Zero. And even them were surprised that so many of us were there. And uh, I will never forget that uh, when we actually won it, normally our fans were always very supportive, shouting and singing. But at the time, they were kind of quiet because they were all sobbing and crying. And it was a very, oh, very overwhelmed. Emotional. Yeah, they were completely overwhelmed with emotions. Others were on the pitch because, as I said, first uh, we qualified for that tournament or for that uh, cup competition after 20 years. And then we went through and won it. Um, it was actually the base for the new stadium at Schalke and for so many other things, which happened since then. Uh, yeah, and I was, uh, I'm still kind of uh, very, very happy and uh, proud that I've been a member of this team. 
Yeah, I'm sure that tournament we, we, has a special called, spot. Yeah, we've been called the Euro Fighters. Yeah. Because we were right. we were a decent team, but we were fighting like hell. And our team spirit was unbelievable. It was great. No, it it, it seemed like a very special run and um I, I, if I don't if you don't mind in your and I find it interesting that during that time you're also studying economics. Yes. You didn't just do football. No, no, my my parents always told me that uh, there were three, in order, there were three uh, issues. First, health, second, uh, education, third, football. Always that order. And uh, because I finished my, my school with an exam, I didn't want to waste it. So I started uh, to study a bit, bit of economics and then I got a major injury. I didn't actually know whether I could go on playing football or not. And so I intensified that study. And uh, I kept going until I uh, finally was going to AC Milan because then it was a little bit difficult to keep it up. Right. So then you Milan, you moved to Milan. It's a shorter stay for you. It was a shorter stay. Yeah, uh, I made a mistake. I've left too early, but I didn't really like the environment. And um, with the goalkeeper, it's, uh, sometimes it's a little bit uh, peculiar because you have your goalkeeping coach, and there was a guy who wanted to change my game completely, so my technique and everything. And I just thought, no, that's wrong. What does that mean, try to change your technique? Like he thought you were too aggressive coming out or didn't cover the corner? I, mean, I don't know what that means, I guess. Well, for a goalkeeper, um, there's an Italian approach which always likes to anticipate. Anticipare. Yeah, they call it anticipare. Uh, so they want you to jump and to read where the ball may come. If it's not coming there, you look a little bit clueless, stupid. And my uh, style of game was always reacting, reacting. Yeah, stand strong and react and minimize the probability for the striker to actually uh, score and by making the, the goal smaller right. by offering, Just make it make a perfect shot. Yeah, by by by, by offering certain angles. Right. But when you take that by anticipating and you're opening a huge area of the goal anyway and you right. only have you're only lucky when he shoots where, where you're flying of beforehand. Course. So seems silly. Yeah, I didn't want to do that. But uh Yeah, sometimes uh, when you're young you make these decisions and it happened that uh, at the time there were some other clubs interested in me. Uh, back to Germany. Back to Germany. I could have gone to Liverpool. Uh, Gerard Houllier was asking me to come there and uh, I was there, but I, I didn't really like it. So I went back to Germany. Is that the biggest derby in Germany? Schalke, Borussia? <coughs> Sorry, can you repeat? Is that the biggest derby? Schalke, Schalke, Schalke and Dortmund? Well, in Germany, it's the biggest derby, yeah. yeah it's the and they say sometimes it's a classical, but in terms of emotions and everything, it's just uh, 25 kilometers away from each other and people have the same mentality, but people have a... Working class, deep... Work, working class. Uh, runs deep generations. Apart from, from watching football... Uh, so was it weird that you went to Dortmund after Schalke? Yes, it was It was a weird decision, I have to say. Uh, but Schalke, they came up and were interested in me again, but uh, then they it, uh, they muted a little bit. They didn't call me anymore. And uh, Bruce Dortmund was very, very uh, committed to sign me. And um, 
Yeah, I went there and uh, yeah, it's, I met a lot, of, a lot of good people who I still meet sometimes today, but mm, from a sportive point of view, I wouldn't do it again. And you wouldn't? No, because I disappointed a lot of people from Schalke and I wasn't very welcomed by a lot of people from Dortmund. Because they didn't like the Schalke goalie like and the goalie, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Schalke doesn't like the, the Dortmund goalie, yeah. But you had good years there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. To be honest, even in Italy, I became Italian champion. So it wasn't too bad, all of uh, all in all, as a conclusion. But um, yeah, it wasn't where my heart was really. Really. And so I had, uh, I had, uh, yeah, I was quite lucky when when Arsenal called me and when Arsenal Wenger was asking me if I want to play for him. You felt like that was a good change for you. Yes, yes. I always wanted to go back because I felt well. There's there's an unfinished business, yeah. Because I was abroad and I didn't really make it there. You mean to Milan? To Milan, and then you, okay, yeah. yeah. And then I went back, and so I decided, okay, now I give it a real go. And um, I mean, what was it like to be on the Invincibles? You don't realize that you're invincible, and uh i still don't feel being invincible it just happened that uh sometimes we were a bit lucky that uh, no other team could beat us and they had the ch some teams had the chance to beat us but for some reason our quality at the end was a little bit superior and uh, it's uh you go from game to game and you don't really think about it too much because Apart from Arsene Wenger, who, who must have said uh, to his team before that he can that he believes that uh one day they can go without uh, losing a single game but it wasn't a, you know it wasn't an issue in the dressing room that we were talking okay let's let's go for becoming champion unbeaten we just wanted to become champions and it's uh yeah all of a sudden you realize when you get closer to the to the finish line at the end of the season that sooner or later you can become champion and that's your that's still your priority and nobody really thought about okay let's not lose a game mm -hmm. uh, we we didn't want to lose anyway but uh no one does right it happened in the process yeah. and then we became unbeaten ch uh, champion i think technically when we when we drew at uh, tottenham hotspurs but to go the whole season unbeaten that never happened before and so that was our next target but only after we became champions anyway and the pressure all of a sudden which was good for us was high because i remember a game in portsmouth all of a sudden in muddy rainy weather we were one nil down at halftime and they were they, they kept going on us and uh, i thought oh it's gonna be tough today yeah so um i had a good game in the afternoon and uh in the end, but uh, we were lucky as well. I think Thierry Henry scored the equalizer. And I think a lot of uh, our players, they remember that that was a kind of turning point, or not turning point, but it was a very decisive game in becoming invincible. Yeah, yeah people forget about it, but as a player, you know that there were some tough games. That was the close call. Yeah. Um, I remember reading about, well, so then the Champions League was kind of, Hit and, hit and miss in those earlier years, but then a couple of years later, you guys made a real good run in Champions League. I think in that year when we became champions, we should have won it because we were the best team 
Yeah, in uh, quarter when lose to Chelsea that year. Yeah, it was out of five games, uh, we've only lost one to Chelsea. We won three, drew one, and then in the uh, uh, Champions League quarterfinal, we've lost it because uh, we were one up and we were playing a new ball, a new Nike ball, and we didn't have the chance to test it. And I think Claude Makalele, he, he uh, had a shot on me from 25 yards, something like that. And the ball was swerving and swerving and swerving, and I couldn't catch it. And it hit my shoulder and um, bounced off it. Yeah. And then I think, who was it? can't remember mm, who scored from that. So he scored the equalizer. So the first leg was 1-1, and the second leg was all of a sudden 1-1 as well. And Our big disadvantage at the time was that we had to play 10 very intense games within 10 days. Uh, not 10, sorry, five very intense games within uh, 10 days. And even for us, that impact and that physical fatigue was so big that I can't even remember within my five years at Arsenal even more a game in which we have been so tired yeah. at the end, for example, and particularly mentally. Because if you always, we played Liverpool, we played Man United, we played Newcastle, which was at the time a great team. And I think we played Chelsea twice. And uh, as I said, in 10 days, and we had to pay tribute to it. And so uh, Chelsea scored in the last minute. And they will never forget how well they celebrated because it was the first time they could beat us after a long time. And uh, I've just met John Terry in uh, Doha at the World Cup and we were talking a little bit about that season and uh, he was still surprised that even them did not win the Champions League by the time because they lost to I think it was Monaco um, in the sure. in the semi-final and we were as an Arsenal team we were very unhappy because we knew yeah, overall we were the best team by far we should have won it easily but it did not happen it seems impossible to manage the Champions League the FA Cup the the league it's just so difficult to play so much in england yeah you you haven't seen a team which has won a triple in years huh yeah it happened i think man united did it yeah, once. 99 and then liverpool was close yeah but close but but it's just they're playing so many more games it's so difficult. yeah and, and now with all the physical um data uh, other teams they're just too good or too close to a team which could win the triple so the other teams sometimes make it even tougher and oh, it's very sure. hard to to win the champions league Ugh. i mean when wimbledon plays you tougher than they play stoke yeah. you know it's yeah. like you're gonna get the best they've ever got you yeah. know and then you yeah. got to do that every week it's tough yeah. yeah i don't know if you will if you will see it again to win the triple in england because the competition is just fierce well and they kind of do, do they still care about the fa cup Okay, because it's still prestigious. Yeah. But, yeah, the triple is a triple. It's That would uh, be nice. Nothing's bigger than this. And, um, but then, I guess, ironically, the, the, the year you get to the final in the Champions League, you're fourth in the league, but the, the, the Champions League run you had was impressive. Eight, eight clean sheets. Is that right? I think so, yes. We, never, so. Uh, we never conceded a goal in the whole season from game one and uh, 
I think I've, I've, somebody told me in England there was a quiz show. And there was a question, who never conceded a goal in the Champions League from, day, uh, from game one to the final and still has lost? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good question. Yeah, who would know? I mean, I guess I would know. because I've been, yeah. I've, but, uh, but you remember the final, of course. Yes, because you're reminding me now. <laughs> I don't want to say the name of the referee, but, uh, you know, he did go on record as regretting his decision. Well, it's human and unfortunately... That, would, that wouldn't be, that would not be a red card today. You agree? First of all, somebody told me that it was offside. So it could have oh, been... Would have been VAR. Been, uh, with VAR, yeah, it could have been taken as offside. But to remind people, it was uh, Barcelona in the final, 0-0... Who was it that you took down? Do you remember? Eto. Samuel Eto. That's right. That's right. Eto comes through top of the box and it was a bang, bang play, but red card for you. Yeah. Pires has to come off. He was a, yeah. uh, obviously. I always thought, I don't know. For him, for him, I particularly feel sorry because he wasn't involved at all. No. And had to leave the pitch after 20 minutes. Yeah. But I, I and I don't know if you agree, or maybe this is just speculation, but Burkamp and Van Persie did not play. Yeah. And I wonder if the 10 men just, it, it would have been interesting to be tied at halftime and then bring in Burkamp and Van Persie. But. Well, there are so many woods. Um, I don't know. Unfortunately, it did not happen for us at that day. And uh, we still were one and up. And we were fighting, and the mentality of our guys was great. Thierry Henry had a, choice, a chance to score a second. Yeah, I remember. But he was so tired, I think. Yeah. Couldn't give a good shot at, uh, at goal. It's, yeah, sometimes. And then then the next season is the first season of the Emirates. Ah, yeah. So you thought you, you got to open that. You got to open that. I'm, I'm, I always miss, wish that I could have seen Highbury, but... But Highbury was very special. Yeah. Um, for example... It was very, very intense. Uh, supporters, intimate. sorry? Intimate. Very intimate, yeah. The supporters were sitting very, very close to yeah. the sidelines. And um, although it was a very old stadium, it had a, some, some charisma. Sure. Um, I met Arsene Wenger in Doha recently, and he was telling me that he had a chat with the old Emir of Qatar. And he told him that 50 years ago, he was standing behind the stands in Highbury. He wanted to get in as a student, but he couldn't because he could not afford a ticket. Yeah. And in like 1970? Yeah, 1970. Yeah, <laughs> yeah kind of. Yeah, 1970. He, he couldn't afford a ticket to get. He couldn't afford a ticket. Into the game. Into the game. He was a young student and there was no. No wealth, no gas. Yeah, probably there was gas, but they didn't know how to right. explore it. <laughs> and imagine it's a fun And now story. he's the emir. Now he's the emir. And uh, we were in Doha as uh, uh, their guests. And now you saw what kind of skyscrapers and all kind of fantastic buildings. He can afford a there. ticket now. Now he could afford a ticket, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a big ticket for buying the club. <laughs> he can yeah. afford the whole club. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's funny, I think. That is a good story. Yeah, because he was like, "Oh, I like that stadium." So was the was the vibe within the team like 
this is not this is i mean it's a great stadium the emirates but it's you missed highbury as a player well there's there's some very um yeah unemotional you just play side in probably in a lot of players because you play with players and i always say when i was playing with a player he was my best friend no matter if i liked him or not but it could happen that two weeks later he was gone and because that happens throughout 20 years all the time you're very friendly or good with players but the next day they're gone going to another club had to go had to leave the club for whatever reason it's like you close the door and never think about the person again that's how you have to think because you're professional and you think the next game it's uh, is what matters the same happened probably with the stadium because you know okay it's a great stadium now fantastic pitch and a great dressing room so yeah we have to win games and i remember i think it was in our first season when we started really poorly and Arsene Wenger, he didn't give a lot of speeches about that. I think I only remember one when he said, listen, guys, we have such a poor start to the season, but we have to pay off a new stadium. That means that we have to qualify for the Champions League. And I had a chat with the banks yesterday, and I vouched for you because I believe in you that you are a great team and we will qualify for the Champions League. That was the only speech he ever gave, which was kind of, economically related <laughs> to the whole business yeah to the whole football business because as a player don't so think you're, on the, it. you're on the hook for for yeah. the finances that's yeah. funny yeah yeah he said i vouch for you but now you have to deliver <laughs> so uh and then after that season it's back to germany after two seasons i think yeah oh eight i played, I played two seasons in the uh, in the emirates i went to stuttgart yeah, it was nice there. I met a lot of good people. We we could have even become uh, champions. I think in this in the first year, even I think after, but uh, we were we had to play Munich. We had to beat them, and right. at the same time, Wolfsburg should have lost, but Bayern Munich has beaten us because they wanted to become champions themselves. Sure. And was it a, was it decided on the last day? Yes, yeah, the last right. day. Um, so for, unfortunately for me, I was always lucky because all the four clubs before I played with, we could win something, but not this time. Uh, but because uh, you won on the last day with Dortmund. Yes. The very last day, German right? Champions. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, as I said, Stuttgart was really nice. I still have, I was in touch today by email with a guy who I've met there. So 12 years after I'm, I'm doing business with him a little bit. And so it's good that. What was your first, uh, national team call up? I played in Oman. In, I mean, in 98, 1998. Yeah. I will never forget that game because Adidas, they brought out a Jersey, which was designed, I think for winter because it was so thick. <laughs> I had to play in uh, 30 degrees, 35 degrees. And with that old, not old at the time, brand new, but all baggy back then, right? Winter jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I wasn't running a lot, I, you know, I thought, okay, let that game, my first game ever in the German national team, let it be over soon because it's so hot. <laughs> and um, so you really didn't 
get a lot of games in until 06? Yes. Well, probably within within eight years, from 1998 to, nine, to 2006. Probably two games per season, not more. Right. Yeah. Always the number two behind Oliver Kahn. No, I was number three for the World Cup in 1998. Then Oliver was playing. I was number two behind him in 2000. 2002 again. Then I thought I would be playing in 2004, but Rudy Feller made a, a different decision. And then in in 2004, when we got uh, knocked out again badly by, I think, Portugal, um, there was a successor for Rudy Feller. And it was supposed to be Ottmar Hitzfeld, who was a Bayern coach for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if he comes as a coach, I won't be playing either for in the World Cup because uh, Oliver was his goalkeeper. Yeah. But fortunately enough, he he said, no, I don't want to. Too tired. So they appointed Jürgen Klinsmann, who you know as Americans. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Jürgen started a great project. And he chose you as number one and Oliver Kahn number two. He chose me, yeah. And uh, there's a, a funny, or there are a couple of uh, funny stories as well. But um, for you Americans, could be probably interesting, I think. There's Mark Verstegen from... Uh, Athlete performance. I think is there, isn't there base in Arizona as well? Maybe so. Yeah, he's a he was a fitness kind of. He would be probably he would be probably uh, embarrassed by using that word. He was our conditioning coach, mm -hmm. but Mark actually has built an an empire in the fitness world because uh, he was a well known American fitness uh, guy, and he came to us and he used some rubber bands for us so we had to march on the football pitch with rubber bands and the german media ridiculed him and ridiculed us yeah <laughs> look at these guys who are playing rubber band now on the pitch yeah what benefit will that have and it was uh, embarrassing how they got <laughs> on with it that was 2004 and 2007 after the world cup or was it 2008 i don't remember anymore Mark was coming and gave uh, classes here in Munich, and four hundred people sold signed. <laughs> yeah, four hundred people signed up for it. Completely sold out. He's being perceived like a messiah. Yeah, he was a guru. And uh, I those was, kind of things are very popular now. Yeah, super popular. Yeah. And uh, that's how how things change. That the American impact by Jürgen and by Mark and some others in the team really have or has helped us to have a very good run in the World Cup 2006. Yeah, what do you remember about that tournament? Well, first of all, it was uh, it was a, a very, very uh, long rivalry um, by becoming number one for one and a half years in Germany um, because people always thought, okay, Oliver Kahn is playing and I thought, no, I'm playing. And it was a fight because at the time I wasn't even playing at Arsenal for ten day uh, for ten games, and so people thought, okay, yeah, the position uh, of the number one, being number one in Germany for the World Cup, has been taken already because uh, Lehmann is not even playing for Arsenal, and so I needed to fight back, and 
Yeah, I remember that it was a very long, exhausting but challenging fight to become number one. And uh, yeah, eventually, I played there, the German World Cup, which was uh, for for the German people uh, was a fantastic time um, for us. It was, it was in Germany. It was in Germany. It was our home World Cup, and from day one, there was fantastic weather. It was thirty degrees, and people. Like my teammates from Brazil or Africa, even after the tournament, they said, oh, it was such a great World Cup. And the weather, we considered to go on holiday to Germany. <laughs> But no, you know, it never happened after that. Four days, uh, four weeks in a row, there was not one cloudy day. Yeah. It was always sunshine. I guess that's true. And people, the Germans, they enjoyed it, having so many guests from all over the world, entertaining them, hosting them. Yeah, people told us uh, as uh, we, we players, we were on the, in a hotel, and so we didn't really realize the atmosphere outside because it was just a, like a training camp with high walls. It was a nice hotel, but couldn't get out really. And even after the, or only after the World Cup, there were stories um, for everybody, for each player, yeah, who's been told, well, we did that when you played, I don't know, Italy, we were there. When you played Argentina, I will never forget. And that's when, um, when, when, when you know that people became big, uh, uh, events became big. Because, for example, you know where you were in uh, 9-11, when the towers sure. uh, got hit. Yeah, and everybody knows that. Exactly. Where I was then? You probably uh, know where you were when, I don't know, John McEnroe or whoever won his first tournament. I don't know what's yeah. big in, in America or when the when Chicago Bulls, whatever did they, yeah? I can remember a few, yeah. Yeah, you can remember. And that's... That's your tournament. That's that tournament for you or for yeah. a lot of people that come up to you. Yeah, for a lot of people. And then you, uh, you find out well, that was really, really big for them because if everybody remembers where he was on a given day, then you know that's big. No matter if you won it or lost it, but they remember where they were. And that was for the World Cup in 2006. It was a combination of great hospitality. People thought differently about Germany. They thought, oh, nice people, actually. And it all started. And you think, you think before that they thought, oh, maybe the Germans won't be nice? Probably they always thought the they Germans, were surprised by the yeah the Germans politeness always, the hospitality yeah probably decent people but no fun yeah not a lot of laughter always organized yeah precise but no style of real fun uh, bella vita yeah fun and uh, <coughs> well I don't I don't know if you saw it but there was an American football game in Hamburg a couple of months ago American football. Seahawks versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No, it was in Munich. Munich, you're right. I'm sorry. And they they say the stadium stayed full for an hour singing American songs. Yeah. And the football players were looking around like, I've never seen anything like this. People are usually out of here. By the time I'm doing these interviews, I can't believe what I'm seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My so son was there. Was he? Okay. Yeah. So they said, don't think that anymore about Germans not being fun, at least yeah, yeah, back probably. in the States. But, you know, um, such occasions, it... it uh, Yeah, it changes a little bit the the perception of us. But unfortunately, I have to say, I was in Doha uh, for the World Cup. And there, you could see that people, they're disappointed by the Germans again. After kind of 
16, 18 years, uh, 16 years of having a good feeling towards the Germans, all of a sudden they perceive us as being the lecturers of the world who want to tell others how to behave, how to, how to talk, how to think, what to do, what not to do. And that was a big step backwards to the old. Is that merited, uh, you think? Could be, I don't know. But um, it was the impression and everybody was so happy that the Germans got knocked out because there was no compl uh, uh, complaints anymore, no bad atmosphere, no uh, talking about human rights or other things that the World Cup should not have given to Qatar because it, it's in winter. And yeah, it's interesting. You think they heard that? Because I think they heard that from a lot of people, but you feel like Germany, they heard it maybe I, more I, than I mean, others. I was there. Yeah. So it, probably there were a couple of other people, so people as well who mentioned that, but no nation as a whole was so critical on Qatar as we were. And for example, two days later, after we've been knocked out, still criticizing what was wrong there, Germany has signed a massive gas deal yeah, to get the supply for liquid gas from Qatar. Right. And so all of a sudden the world thinks, or the, at least the football world thought, what are they doing? They're criticizing Qatar. And then two days later, they're signing a big gas deal. How can they do that? Yeah. So it, unfortunately, it has changed the, the perception of Germany again towards a very negative. Philip Lahm wrote, wrote a very good essay about separating the football from the cultural and all the other social aspects of, of what you can do. I thought it was very well said. I haven't heard it, but I haven't seen Philip in Qatar. No, I just mean he just wrote something about how you can still enjoy the tournament and love the football and you just you can leave all that other stuff for another time. And but I thought he put it very well. I've heard him saying something different. Oh, really? Like yes. he was critical? Very critical. Yeah, I think he... I, I guess he was critical in some of the things he said, but he he just didn't want people to despise the tournament and hate the football, I guess. I don't know, but I haven't seen him in Qatar. And as Do you think a, if, he, if, if he would have been there, it would have been a different well, experience? He is the chief of organization for our tournament of the European Championship next year. Yeah. But he was in Qatar. So I thought, okay, probably knows everything already, but it would be that bad to look... Uh, at, a, at a greatest sporting organization, which just happened now, to at least have a look at it. I was a little bit surprised, but probably it's a different approach. Did you have a good time there? Fantastic. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, did I more was... did more old World Cup players go to that than like other World Cups? Yes, because they invited a lot of ambassadors. Yes, and they were all at one place. And the fans were all at one place, like Olympic Games. Oh, you mean like the village or like, like the village? Where stayed, yeah. yeah, like one city. Everything approachable within one hour. Fantastic weather. Did you play in any? Did you play any football? Yes, we played nearly every day. Really? Who yeah. who else did you play with? There were so many legends. I like, know. Uh, yeah, you name them. Uh, Roberto Carlos. Carlos Kaká. Yeah. Uh, I think. Stoichkov. Uh, Stoichkov, uh, Klinsmann, uh, Mateos, the Italian guys, uh, Totti, uh, uh, Nesta, uh, 
Chilean guys, Argentinian guys, um, all the names you know, all familiar names from football, Sedov, uh, Wesley Snyder, so many of them. It was fun because normally when it goes to America uh, next time in mm -hmm. 26. 26. Well, America and they Mexico have, and Canada. Mexico yeah. and Canada. The distances are so big. So it's going to be a challenge for you to create such a great atmosphere among the supporters because it's, it's very, very big. Your country is super big. Qatar is super small. So they were all saying, you the fan groups, they were staying in one city. And uh, I felt it was the first time actually that no English fan has been arrested at a World Cup. <laughs> uh, so the, the atmosphere was great. The organization was great. As a German, I'm probably not allowed to say that, but it was fantastic. No, yeah, I think you're allowed to say it for sure. I think a lot of people have had a good time at that. The final was surely good. Were you there? Um, I had a ticket, but I wanted to take my sons. And I couldn't get tickets for them anymore. And so I decided to fly back and watch it with yeah. my sons. So I thought I had to be a good daddy rather than staying at the final. It was a good final to watch. I bet you guys had fun. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah that's good, right? But if I may, just going back to your last World Cup experience that you, I mean, I can't not mention when you mentioned you knew where you were when this, that, or the other thing happened. What about the Argentina, the shootout in that tournament? When you were there, that's... Yeah. Got to be a big moment for you. Yeah, in the aftermath, it was a big moment. But sometimes I wonder that uh, it would have been probably better uh, not having been there. Because as a German football player, um, all of a sudden, for some reason, you become big and bigger and bigger. And uh, my turn was in that game. Um, I mean, for me, I had to do that because... I think I would have been the first goalkeeper, uh, first German goalkeeper until then, who would have lost a penalty shootout. And for those that, I mean, Americans may not remember, but you were kind of, it was famous because you had you had a, a little bit of idea where they were going to shoot it. Yeah, you had the notes. I had a note in my sock because uh, it was only two days after uh, the, the first knockout game and... Um, there was so much going on, and so I better wrote it on a note just before the game. And then it, uh, yeah, we went to penalties and I looked at the note. And I didn't even know that the Argentinians saw it. Probably they saw it or not. I don't know. I've met uh, Cambiasso, who missed the last. Uh, he, he wasn't on there, was he? Sorry? Was he on there? Was he, his, no, was he, his, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't even note. on there, right? He so. wasn't on the note. But I remembered him because we played uh, Villarreal in the Champions League semifinal. Yeah. And he took a free kick, a well-taken free kick in my left corner across the wall. And so just when he lifted his foot, I remembered that. Oh, you're kidding, really? And so I was jumping to the left and he did me a favor. <laughs> uh, so it was, yeah, it was was a good, um, fantastic game. And the, the people were fantastic in the stadium in Berlin. They were all cheering. And I remember I was sitting on the couch next to... Um, Christoph Metzelder, um, and we were leaving the stadium, uh, still full of adrenaline. And when we've left the dressing room in the, Berlin, in the Berlin Olympic Stadium, it's a very long way to the exit. And it probably it's a mile or something like that. And uh, on the left and right, there were first there were standing hundreds 
of police guys. And they were making Laola for us, the wave. And then after that, there were even more soldiers standing and they were doing the same. And I will never forget that picture. And I was telling him, Metze, I think, yeah, it would not become better in our life yeah, than this day or this whole World Cup. Because when you imagine that all of a sudden police guys and soldiers, they're applauding you and they're waving. But then why do you say it might have been better if it hadn't happened? Because the Germans have a tendency, um, completely contrary to the Americans, as at least how I know the Americans, they're very jealous. And so they make you big. And then after they, they talk about projects happening in America, so they talk about what you're wearing, they talk about what you're saying, they talk about every little piece in your life. And that's their way sometimes if you say something wrong, which they think it's not right, they kill you. Because you're, you're higher. When you're high profile, they like to kill you, yeah, to get you to the same level where you were before, to their level. Because then they see, listen, or see, you see, he's not happy anymore. So I feel better when he's not happy. And there's a, there's a German jealousy about a lot, about money, about cars, about houses, about yeah, success. And uh, you felt that. Sorry? You felt that. Absolutely. And now I'm feeling it. I'm still feeling it. Yeah. Whatever you do, which is not that successful, not that great, they kill you. And it's probably different in America because people, what I've experienced so far, people like it when you're successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People like it when you've made some money somewhere. People like it when you're happy because you can spread your happiness. And that's a very, very good attitude to actually see somebody's happy because probably he's giving me some of his good energy and so i'm doing better in my life through to uh, due to him or whatever because my thought is positive instead of being jealous or whatsoever that's a very german that's interesting uh negative attitude and so that's why i'm saying yeah uh, probably because at the world cup we haven't won it anyway yeah. Well, no, right after you play the Italians a, a few days later, and that was a close game. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, a couple of goals scored real quick, put them in the final. What do you mean, really quick? Well, they scored the two goals in like three, four minutes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. yeah. The, but at the end of the game. Correct. At the very, yeah. Last minute. Yeah. Yeah. Last minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alessandro Del Piero. Yeah. Who yeah. went to uh, Los Angeles. That's right. He's, he's still in, there. No, he, he went to, oh, he's going to Madrid now. I oh, mean, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, he just, he, he, probably he he's went been there. in LA for a few years. Yeah. Probably he went there because he didn't like to live his life because he was so big in Italy. So it's probably a, a few people of, have ended up in America that way, I think. Yeah. Because um, they're always telling me that it's a lot of freedom in America. Yeah. People let you live your life. People don't judge you immediately. People don't criticize you for everything and you feel that here though a little bit there's a league in los angeles that uh, it's just a men's league in santa monica and there, you, if you go on a certain day you'll see some players you'll see jürgen cleans well, i don't think jürgen anymore but you'll see you know, like really big players david ginola and a lot, oh, yeah? of, a lot of famous players have just what is it it's just a santa monica men's league like oh, it's just open men's but a lot of the guys that end up in la they're like i can play here and i'm not like bothered yeah. So it's kind of fun. I mean, most of the players, they love to play football. Yeah. 
That's true. So, and then, um, yeah, along the way, you have three lovely kids that are all kind of grown up now. That was that was a great decision by going to Dortmund, coming back to my perception before, because I've met my wife there, and I have three great kids with her. So, it all happened for a reason. That's right. And oh, you, you've got only one that's kind of hasn't flown the nest, right? Yeah, all the other my 16-year-old daughter, yeah. My oldest one was studying in Boston, at Boston College. Oh, nice. What's she studying? He, she or he? Uh, him. Economics. And he was uh, going there based on uh, his football skills. So the university took him because they like to have European footballers. That's nice. It was a great experience. Do you visit Boston? Yes. It's yes. good, right? Yeah. It's I wasn't there before, but it's called New England. And sure. because I'm very much used to England, I felt, well, yeah, that looks very much like England here. Yeah, it's a great city. That's good. And where does where do you guys call home these days? In Munich? In Munich, yeah. You like it? Munich is a fantastic city uh, because the environment is great. There are some lakes, mountains. So in summer, you can swim in a lake. Uh, in the winter, you can go skiing. Um, so the environment is great. It's a bit small. And uh, yeah, it's sometimes a bit, they always think they are very international minded, but they're not. And uh, that's, uh, that's, for example, with the, have you heard of the German beer fest, the Oktoberfest? Oh, sure. That's fantastic because then a lot of internationals come in, the atmosphere is great. Where do you like to do that? Where? Like which city would you say that's where you should go do it? The Oktoberfest? Yeah. Well, here, because here it's, a, it's the best, it's a base. It's the origin of the Oktoberfest. So this is the best place to see it. Yes, yes, yes. For all the Americans who like to come to Germany, come in end of September. It's fantastic to go to the Oktoberfest. Do you find in your post-career, are you finding as much interest and excitement in things you do as you did as a footballer? No. It's difficult to find yeah, that, Yes, that's it? very difficult. I've never talked to anyone who said yes. Yeah, because uh, everything else against that is kind of... That's, it's some. It could be interesting, but on the same... At the same time, it's not really the level of adrenaline you're getting like you got before. Uh, I, yesterday I was in Kitzbühel. It was a, there was a famous uh, ski race, uh, Hanenkamp, Strife. And uh, it happened that I was talking to a guy who was racing the Strife. And they are they're just uh, amazed by the level of adrenaline. You were know a, little, super, a little jealous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's super, super dangerous. But the amount of adrenaline you're having for, I don't know, 10 minutes, half an hour, an hour, I don't know how long it lasts with them because they're only going for one or two minutes. But uh, this is uh, but you thought unreachable about... in other aspects yeah. of life. It's true. It's true. Well, um, well, that, that I got to tell you, man, I think that's a good way to end it. Do you have anything else? No, I'm fine. Fine. All right, man. Well, hey, Jens, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it uh, immensely and uh, just want to say thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed that chat with the great Jens Lehman. Uh, he, he's great. So, hey, support us on Patreon if you can. Follow us on all the things and um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.